welcome to Healthcare Du Jour, where we dish up and digest the latest in healthcare. For the next 30 minutes, sit back as we bring you insight, commentary, and discussion on trending topics to the table, all expertly served up by our host and his guests. Healthcare Du Jour is brought to you by Carium, the telehealth platform enabling healthcare's digital transformation, helping you care for people within the fabric of their daily lives. Now here's your host, Matt Fisher. Welcome back, and thank you for joining as we dive into the hottest topics in healthcare. I'm your host, Matt Fisher. On the menu today is Steve LaFar, Chief Strategy Officer at Strata Decision Technology. Steve, welcome to the show. Thanks. Appreciate being here. So, Steve, what I always like to do before getting into the main part of the discussion is to give my guests a chance to provide more of an introduction in terms of who they are and what they do. So the floor is yours. Thanks, Matt. So presently, I'm the Chief Strategy Officer for Strata Decision Technology. Easiest way to know who Strata is, is we are the epic of the finance side in more than 400 health systems. Uh, and I've helped build our Stratosphere data set, which is a data collaborative across those health systems. So we have a window into what's going on in the health systems of this country in a way, frankly, nobody uh, else does. And at, at a personal level, I've spent my career, I've been a CEO three times, and it's all been about using data and analytics and information to help people make better decisions. Uh, it's my way of trying to make the world a little bit better of a place uh, through what I do uh, in healthcare and just love being outdoors when I'm not working and enjoying nature. It's the way that I can uh, sort of bring myself back to back to earth. Yeah, no, kind of maintaining personal health and well-being is definitely very important. Particularly these days. It's kind of, I know you just said you've been in, you know, kind of gone through a bunch of different roles, but you know, what got you into healthcare in the first place? So I was, this is my early, I'm 56 now, my early 20s, I was working for uh, Merrill Lynch, a financial services firm, and then a consulting firm doing financial planning and strategy work for large entities. And it just, frankly, for me personally, it's nothing against those industries, didn't feel like I was doing something. Uh, there, there's a, a phrase in Hebrew called tikkun olam, which means to repair the world. And it was kind of beat into me as a child. And I, I just felt like I wasn't doing something that valuable. And a partner from that consulting firm left to go join uh, a consulting another consulting firm called APM and said, hey, come along. And I got hooked on healthcare because for a business person, uh, the best way uh, I think I can contribute is by doing something to make healthcare a little better for people. You end up with I wasn't smart enough to be a doctor, so I figured this is how I could help. And I was pretty good with the data and the analytics and software. And that's really been the trajectory of my career, everything I've done. Yeah, and kind of you mentioned that now you're focused on healthcare finance, which you know I just you know I know is an extremely broad area, but yeah. you know if you could give like a high level definition of it, because I honestly haven't talked to too many folks on the finance side of the healthcare world, and you know I I feel like it might be a little bit of a mystery to folks in terms of what are you know kind of the key components or the primary components that you're looking at. Yeah, so like like any business. The and healthcare is a business, even if it's sort of got an altruistic uh, intent. Somebody's got to be responsible for making sure the dollars and cents line up with uh, revenues and costs. It's it's really that simple. Uh, but it's really about how do these health systems for me get? How do they get financed? How do they ensure that they can can invest in the services they need to provide to their communities? Uh, we can have, but we will have a bit of a debate about 
uh, how that's going and, and how healthcare costs are, are changing. But at base, it's about how do these organizations run financially, just like any organization. Uh, that There's a, a sister that uh, I worked with from one of the uh, Catholic health systems that coined the phrase a long time ago, no margin, no mission. And that's the reality of it. If they're continuing to spend money and, and losing, at some point they run out. And it's a very difficult decision for uh, the large large health systems in particular uh, where to make those investments these days. And, and we can talk a lot about that. Yeah, no, and kind of you already touched on the cost side of it. So, you know, as you said, there's a lot to dive in there so, or dive into there. So why don't we do that? You know, kind of what are, you know, how are healthcare costs going and, you know, what's the picture like behind the headlines? Because it's obviously the headlines focus a lot on they just keep rising. And, you know, that means more financial impact for pretty much every segment of the economy. But, you know, I always know that there's a lot more to it than just what you can get in a media headline. Yeah, and I appreciate having the chance to talk about it. So we can talk about costs at a macro level. My, I have a lot of expertise around the industry, but particularly even defining costs, right? Is it the actual cost of providing care, which is an area Stratus spends a lot of time on? Is it the cost of the claim cost to the consumer, to the payer? Uh, and we can we can talk about both of those. I think at base, when we think about healthcare costs, we are thinking about what does it take to actually provide people care, uh, not sort of necessarily what does it take to keep them healthy. Uh, there's a lot of uh, misunderstanding, I think, globally. Uh, in this country, we talk about the fact that we're the most expensive in the country, and we are. Our prices are certainly the highest uh, anywhere in the world. But in the aggregate, if you take social spending and actual healthcare spending together, and Ashisha and many others, Ashisha uh, at Harvard, uh, have spent uh, a lot of time thinking about this, our total costs aren't that different from other developed countries on a per capita basis. We just spend it on actually taking care of people when they're sick. We don't spend the same amount of money on social programs, on public health, on childcare, on things like that, that really do make us look about even uh, around the world. And if you take out certain states uh, in the country that have horrible healthcare problems, if you take out gun violence and certain areas like drug abuse, our costs actually aren't that high, sort of debunking that myth a little bit. Uh, it, it, we're really not as bad as we think we are. We have issues to address uh, for sure, but we have to go about it a little bit differently. My personal expertise is really on the true costs of delivering care. Uh, as in what's the cost of nursing, of supplies uh, to support the institutions. Uh, we can talk a lot about the macro and public health issues as well, but that's where my expertise is. Yeah, so why don't we dive into your area of expertise then? Because, you know, from having talked with a friend of mine, it's, you know, for a facility or system to understand what is the actual cost for it to deliver care, that might not be something that they actually have a very good handle on. Uh, so what's your perspective on that issue? Yeah, it's been what attracted me to Strata in the first place. I've, I've been here about five years, and 
a big chunk of what we do is helping people understand what does it actually cost to deliver the care that they provide uh, for literally decades. Uh, people looked at things like the cost of charges, and they weren't really looking at the way a manufacturing entity would look at costs, which is what is the actual activity cost? How many hours of labor does something take? How many minutes of something uh, of labor does something take? What's the true cost of the supplies uh, that go into it with rebates included or excluded? We can talk a lot about the insanity of rebates uh, and why they should go away. Um, the actual cost of the drugs, the cost of capital to run a facility, uh, the cost of investment. And so it's a number of things. And people just hadn't had the systems and the software and the analytical models to actually figure this out. It's quite complex. And we're not manufacturing toothpaste, not to say we don't need toothpaste, but this is complex. Every individual patient is a little different. They need something a little different. Their circumstances in life are a little different. And so it's one of the more interesting challenges is figuring out what does it truly cost? And if you don't know what things truly cost, you can't price properly. You can't have a real discussion as an, at a national level about what the price of healthcare should be versus what it actually costs to deliver. And people talk about healthcare costs too much, but you've got to start with the actual cost of delivering that care to people. As you were just explaining, there is a lot of complexity because there are a lot of different components to determining that cost. What are the, you know, the the main challenges in being able to tease apart, you know, all the different elements that you'd want to look at to then add up together to identify that actual cost of delivering care that you were just talking about? Yeah, unlike a lot of other uh, industries where you can, it's it's largely part driven or supply driven. Healthcare is labor driven. And when you're dealing with that, you really have to do a lot of activity-based costing. And this person's wage is a little bit more than this person's wage. So you literally, to do it perfectly, you need to know, let's take a surgical procedure. Who was in the room? How long were they in the room? What's their wage rate? Then every supply that was used and capturing from a little screw to a gauze to all these different items, what goes into uh, taking care of a patient just in the procedure, let alone on the floor, let alone when they go home, the transportation, understanding what it truly costs uh, is, is a fairly complex undertaking. We don't need to be perfect to have a good sense of what that is, but that's what um, our tools have done uh, over the years uh, at Strata. And when you actually try and piece it all together and then compare it, it creates a whole nother set of issues. So uh, it took us a couple of years to build out algorithms and using uh, some data science to normalize this stuff across organizations so people can even compare, how do you know if it's high or low because patients are so unique? You've got one person that has support at home. Um, you've got another person that doesn't. That costs more. 
You've got people that have multiple conditions and how does that get baked into it? People at different ages. Um, you know, I like to say humans are the most complex machinery ever uh, to walk the face of the earth or be on the earth. And it's just very, very hard to normalize uh, the cost. So there's a, a number of challenges that go into figuring out what it what it actually costs. And so kind of as you're going through that process, and then once you've actually come up with a figure, um, or, you know, kind of, you know, as you said, the, the as best an estimate and kind of determination as you can, you know, what's the reaction to, you know, the facilities or the groups that you're working with when they see what you've, you know, the, the calculation that you've actually come up with? Yeah, there's always education that goes on with that. And we produce tools that provide uh, overused term, but transparency into the data. So people can review it, make their own decisions, do quality assurance on it. But at a higher level, when we work with our physicians, uh, when we work with nurses, when we work with the administrators, it, it's it's a light bulb moment where it's, I finally have costs that I can understand. It's finally credible. It's believable. We can do something about this. We can look at true variants. We can break it into its component parts. So it's it's truly amazing what happens when people can have a discussion about source truth costs. And that's what we really aspire to do across a number of areas of, of healthcare and the health systems is provide that source truth for people to have these discussions about where they're putting the dollars and what things actually cost. Yeah, and kind of that light bulb moment that you just said is is very powerful because it seems like that's something that's you know either not considered or often overlooked. Um, but for those of you just joining, I'm talking with Steve Lafar of Strata Decision Technology. We're talking about healthcare cost, and you know we're just getting into you know what happens once you actually get in you know the information about the actual cost. So you know, kind of building off of what you just said, Steve, about that light bulb moment. You know, how does that then in you know understanding the actual cost, how does that influence or change you know decisions maybe around the pricing to charge, or you know just kind of different strategic decisions with the with the um, facilities that or physicians that you're working with? It, it changes the nature of the dialogue that people have, whether it be physicians saying, "Yeah, I do care about cost, but you've never given me anything useful that I can believe," or administrators being able to say we need to talk about this program or that program and whether we should still be doing it, where are we investing? When people have data and information, they believe and they can have a clear dialogue and debate about things. It takes the, well, the data is bad or I don't believe it. It takes that kind of off the table. And so people are forced um, or able to have the kind of discussions that they've always wanted to be able to have about the the issue of the day that they're focused on. Uh, now we're seeing a lot of work around costs and social determinants. It sounds a little uh, crass or unfair uh, at times because we're looking at certain populations, but there are certain populations. Uh, you look at Medicaid, Medicaid moms. Uh, and the cost between a C-section and a normal vaginal delivery, it's a huge difference. And so you're losing money on every one of these cases in most states because of the reimbursement. We now know the exact cost of doing that. Well, 
that inspires the discussion to say, maybe we need to invest in caseworkers, even though it's, quote, not necessarily the hospital's job, uh, to go out and help these moms. Or we need to work with companies. Uh, I'm on some boards, uh, one, one company, I won't name the name, but that does med Medicaid uh, maternity. Uh, they are able to reduce the cost and increase the percentage of people that deliver normally, better for the baby, better for the mom. You lose less money and you've made a good investment in the community. And so there's a lot of companies in that genre. We can talk about the number of companies that are working with these health systems to help them make these kinds of investments that are really important. And as you said, once you start to see the bigger picture and, you know, you know, in your reference, SDOH specifically, yeah. you know, if you invest there, maybe it will help produce a better outcome and, you know, allow the a service that is less costly, but also better for the patient to be delivered. You know, how does that factor into the shift to value-based care, since that seems to kind of align quite well? It, it, sure, it sure does. And what what you're seeing, again, with better financial data uh, the ability to say, where do we invest? Where do we not? Right. It's uh, a, a longstanding debate, which is, hey, we're not getting, quote, paid for this. Uh, so, you know, until somebody pays us for this, we can't afford to do it. But when you think about value based care, there are lots of easy places to start, because, frankly, if you look at the true costs, you're losing money in a lot of places already. And a lot of those losses could be a lower number if you were to get out in the community and invest more. And many of the health systems are. Uh, it shouldn't be seen as a burden or a chore or something. Uh, a, they're not for profits. It's what they should be doing, in my opinion. But B, it's good business. It's good economics. It's good margin to go deal with uh, social determinants. And you know, five years ago, I was at a meeting and uh, old friend Jamo Rubin, who's been a longtime healthcare executive, stood up in front, maybe eight years ago even, stood up in front of the room and said, SDOH is going to be the thing. Uh, the next decade, everybody laughed. Nobody believed. And now you're actually going to see it baked in. I believe it's a, something the CFOs have to be paying attention to. Community benefit. Uh, which is a, a technical term of how much charity care and benefit are you providing to the community, you have to file those forms, is going to have a lot of social determinants in it. And what are you doing about it for your community to demonstrate that community benefit, the nature of it's going to change? And I think it is fantastic. And I do think it's good for the economics of these health systems, uh, particularly as we continue to have this uh, problem of flat rates and rising costs inside the health system. They have to find the lowest cost venue to stem the losses that right now, nearly a third to a half, depending on how you count, of all hospitals in this country are losing money. Yeah, and kind of, as you said, if you can start taking that broader community-based view and you know, fulfilling the community benefit that, it, you know, as you pointed out, the nonprofit systems need to be reporting on, that also seems to then touch back on one of the earlier points that you made around if you compare the US to other countries and start normalizing across not just healthcare, but you know, education and other types exactly. of societal spending, then it's not so out of whack. It's maybe just heavily weighted in one direction more than the other. And you're starting to see a shift there. Absolutely. I think it's a, 
a shift, and I, I'm proud that in our small way, we can help shed light on that uh, with true cost, which is it just makes good sense, right? Um, there's an altruistic part of it. There's an empathetic part of it. People in healthcare care, uh, I like to say, but we have to do it in a way that makes sense. And, and the economics just say this is the right thing to do, even if you're not getting paid for it. And I uh, like to say we we have this discussion about value-based care. I think the, the national discussion is about values-based care. So put an S on that word. And there's an intersection between value-based care and values-based care uh, about what are we really going to value as a society? What are we trying to create? And how do we really think about the value of what we're delivering? Uh, if you look at the data, and I spend a fair amount of time with the data, currently, the value-based care programs have not delivered that much value um, we're seeing a lot of arbitrage uh, in the Medicare Advantage. And by arbitrage, I mean people using the um, risk adjustment to boost their rates. Uh, it's not really clear that utilization is any better or costs are any better. Uh, I am a big believer in centers of excellence and the ability to get people to the, if you do more uh, of something, you tend to be better at it, the focused factory concept of healthcare. So I think there are some discussions we have to have about how do you really think about value-based care systemically and where are we going to do things? Um, how do we, what programs actually work? Uh, making people accountable for spending uh, makes a lot of sense, but you also can't control how people live their lives. And the vast majority of our excess costs in healthcare and costs are driven by lifestyle, uh, the impact of poverty, the lack of education, and all the things we talked about societally. And that just flows downstream to the healthcare provider uh, who has to take on everything that society's throwing at them now, uh, including if you look at emergency rooms. My, my daughter's actually an EMT, uh, wants to be a PA. Uh, and you know, the amount of mental health, suicide attempts, drug attempts, uh, drug issues going in and out of these emergency rooms can't solve health care costs unless we deal with some of these other uh, mental health crises, gun violence crises, things like that. And it uh, doesn't matter what side of the political fence you're on on these issues. If you're worried about health care costs, it has to be addressed because it's bankrupting us. Yeah, as you're pointing out, it's you know, not really a healthcare issue in isolation. It's healthcare as part of larger exactly. considerations, and you know, kind of from that perspective, you know, what I don't even know if systemic is the right way to frame it, but you know, kind of what policy or broader shifts do you think would be required to start viewing all these issues as interconnected, as opposed to just trying to tackle one. And if you're just trying to address one, you're not actually going to get to the, the result you're hoping for because five other things are also impacting that you're not touching. I've, I've got very strong biases on this, and there are plenty of people that uh, might disagree. Uh, in the broadest sense, we spend way too much on administration. Uh, gee, that's a you know, big surprise to everybody. But when you start getting specific about it, there are a lot of things that go on in healthcare. 
that could be driving a lot of money uh, other places. And uh, I will pick on my friends in the uh, insurance industry. I've got lots of friends there. They we talk about this all the time. There's plenty of blame to go around. But the 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 nonsense of drug rebates and the shifting that goes on between the uh, insurance side of some of these plans and the PBM side of these plans, there are literally hundreds of billions of dollars that could be reallocated to other areas of healthcare. And drug prices shouldn't be the place where we are having this argument about what what ought to be done. Uh, things like prior off, 99.9% uh, of these things get approved. I sold a company to a large payer a number of years ago, was shocked to actually see these statistics. The software was used to electronically manage prior auth. And it's like, so it's really a gatekeeping thing. There are a lot of administrative issues that just need to go away. The problem is there are tremendous entrenched interests that make their living off of programs and policies that frankly just don't do much to improve uh, healthcare. And when we think about outcomes, if high quality, high access, low cost healthcare or appropriate cost healthcare, uh, which I think we can say in an advanced developed society, healthcare is a good thing uh, to have more of. Um, when we dig even deeper, and think about systemic issues uh, driving uh, healthcare costs, we have to talk about uh, the labor supply and where that labor supply sits. Uh, so we have uh, what I believe is the greatest crisis uh, in my lifetime, my 30 years of working in this industry. We have moved for the first time into a supply constrained environment from a demand and access constrained environment. And by that, I mean, it's basic uh, economics 101. If you don't have a supply of services, something is gonna give. Either there's gonna be a uh, inability to deliver that product, which for other products, it's okay. For healthcare, it means people go without. Uh, and that supply imbalances, nurses, doctors, PAs, um, all the way down to CNAs, and what we're seeing in that labor space is uh, really, we can do a whole other podcast about that, it is tremendous. And if we don't fix that issue policy-wise by thinking about what is it, how do we open up more slots? How do we finance and fund medical education for the right things? Um, how do we pay for healthcare? Uh, another simplification, we spend so much time for trying to document a visit. Uh, my my perfect world would be we double or triple or quintuple the cognitive fees we pay to physicians and get rid of all the other things that they need to do to make a living and pay back their debt and do all those things. I think that would help with value-based care. If they knew they just had to bill one code uh, and it had to be over the over the, the we look for abusers, you know, nobody can see 80 patients in a day. There are ways of using technology and data science to do that. There are just incredible ways to simplify and make the moral injury uh, that is what need, what is for a provider today uh, go away. I don't think it's that hard. It just takes some will uh, and a belief that people generally wanna do the right thing. Um, 
I and others that actually are deep in this industry could probably spend a day in a room and come out with uh, solutions. It's just when it gets to the lobbying and, and goring somebody's uh, ox, uh, it just never it, it never seems to happen. But there's a list of things that could simplify healthcare overnight, literally, for the providers and some policies to make it easier to increase the supply of clinicians. But I worry, even with my access, even with my financial means, getting healthcare is going to be a challenge in 10 years because my peers are retiring. And if they can retire in a year and it takes two to 10 years or 12 years to produce a clinician, uh, there's there's a real problem there. And it's going to get worse, not better. Yeah, no, it, clearly that was a very uh, area of passion for you, and a lot of yes, it is a lot of great, a lot of great questions to pose, but also you know, kind of that call to action of you know, demonstrating the will and the desire to follow through. But believe it or not, we're already out of time. Um, okay, so you know, a great way to end it with that call to action, and I want to thank my guest Steve Lafar for a great conversation today. Thanks, Matt. This was a lot of fun. And hopefully if people have questions, they can look me up and uh, send me an email or send me a call. Just call me. Yeah, no. And thank you to everyone listening. Keep the dialogue going and connect with me at hashtag H-C-D-E-J-O-R-E. I'm Matt Fisher. Until next time. 